Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Lichten Lifestyle. Hey, Dr. Lichten, this is like officially our second season now. That's right. And, and season two and uh, still rolling. Wow, we did uh, 15 episodes in season one, so here we are back for season two. Not that there's any start or end date to a season, but it's good to be back, and I think we accomplished a lot in season one, we'll call it. We had some good reviews, and you can see those on iTunes, where listeners have gone out. I don't even know if you've seen them yet, but when you go to iTunes and you scroll down, the listeners are able to put a few words in about our podcast. And so that's been one of the most fun things to me, A, to see that we've got now thousands and thousands of listeners every month, but B, that they're actually providing us with feedback and emails, and that just gives us a lot more incentive to do even more better and greater programs. Yeah, I was really pleased to see that everybody got it and they were giving us five or six stars, whatever the maximum is, everybody. So thank you for listening. We'll be more than glad to share more information with you as the seasons go on. Matter of fact, I handed uh, an email to you earlier. If you could, it's uh, on the other side of the desk. I wanted to bring that up in just a little bit because today in season two, we're going to open up talking about environmental toxins. And that's a subject we touched base on throughout our 15 shows. Every now and then, you would bring up things about the environment, how uh, it, 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 uh, the estrogen, explain that to me, how the, the environmental toxins create an abundance of estrogen. Well, basically, what has happened since the Second World War we're, is we're actually creating a situation that may parallel the uh, destruction of the Roman Empire. You see, in the Roman Empire, they were so wealthy, they were able to use lead pipes to bring the uh, water into their homes. The trouble is that the lead reacts with the water and it seeps lead into the water. So what happens is they show that the people who were the wealthiest were getting lead poisoning and the crazy people were (laughs) on top of the system. So the story about Nero watching as Rome burned, he was one of the people. Now the people who got in the old homes were protected because there's a calcium type precipitate that would keep the lead poisoning from happening to the people who lived in the poor homes. So the people who were wealthy were the ones going crazy. Now since World War II, the industrial complex has uh, sort of changed our agriculture. After World War II, they found that they put estrogen pellets into animals, they got fatter. Mm -hmm. And it could be that a steer could weigh 100 pounds more in a month. Wow. And, you know, at 3 to $4 a pound, that makes a lot of difference. Absolutely. So as early as 1961, the literature shows they were writing articles about why everybody should have these estrogen pellets, and they're synthetic estrogens, in the animals. Now, it's, they're supposed to be put in their ears, mm-hmm. but instead the people are lazy in the farm, so they inject into the neck, and the neck has the highest circulation, the highest concentration of blood vessels. So therefore, this estrogen goes through all the tissue. The animals get big, and whatever they don't absorb, they drop into the water supply, mm-hmm. or they drop on the ground, which ends up in the water supply. And lo and behold, you can find these same estrogen chemicals as far away as the water in Singapore. So for 50 years, we've been poisoning ourselves with synthetic estrogen we gave to our livestock. And that's just the beginning of this environmental toxin discussion. All right. And we're going to talk more about that. I I did want to open up with this one listener email. uh, And this is a listener by the name of Ryan, happens to be a med student. He has a couple of questions for you, Dr. Lichten. The first question is, would you explain how testosterone acts at the cellular level to regulate sugar metabolism and treat type 2 diabetes? I would love to, but they haven't given me the Nobel Prize yet. The bottom line, this is maybe this could do it. 
I don't quite think so. What we know is that when your body sees sugar, you have to move it or ferry it across the cell wall uh, and, and store it in the tissue. So this takes energy. Now, the thing we know about testosterone is it provides energy. So it's easier with testosterone available in the male to ferry the sugar across. So basic insulin requirements drop dramatically when there's enough testosterone. Now, why this happens, what's the biochemical changes that happen to the cell wall, can't say. But we can say biologically the observation is, you know, here I am at almost 62. My baseline insulin is 10. I take my testosterone, my baseline insulin is less than 2. So it's five times more efficient at my age when I have testosterone more than if I don't. Mm -hmm. person comes in who's diabetic, is on insulin. I can lower their insulin requirements by 50% by raising their testosterone. So the observation is it definitely correlates with the scientific what happens to the cell wall is pure speculation. Is it changing the cellular makeup? Is it opening up some channels we don't know about? Way beyond my level of understanding. I'll just talk about the observation and that it works really well. Yeah, I mean, this is one of your passions, right? Trust me, I've looked at this, but from a biochemical standpoint, we would have to go ahead and have electron microscopes that could analyze the cellular changes and, you know, all that mapping you see they do on the computers. You know, when I get my, you know, 15 to $20 million grant, this is one of the questions I'm going to try to answer. Yeah. And we did a show on this, on diabetes and type 2 diabetes and, and the patients that have really been helped. We had two patients in, and uh, boy, whatever you're doing is doing a lot of good for those guys. Right. We only have another 200 million people to take care of today. Yeah. Well, hey, it's, it's very positive to me that uh, a med student is open-minded, listening to this program, and, and wanting to know more about this, that more doctors should be aware of. Well, I told you just two weeks ago when a medical student came in because his friend, another medical student, had listened to the seminar mm -hmm. we had given on the radio, and he listened to it, and then he called me up and got permission from his professor to come up here and spend a half day with me and walk around and see some of the uh, successes we have. Cool. He had another question, too, and it's kind of in line with our program today on environmental toxins. His question is, is there an IV bag available that's free of estrogenic compounds, such as bisphenol A? Well, this gets into the whole discussion, so I guess we're now into there, our discussion about environmental toxins. There are different kinds of plastics, and based on the thickness of the plastic and the chemical composition, some plastics will leak and others won't. So the, if you look at these real thin plastic Water bottles, they're the worst. Mm -hmm. Because if you put these, leave them, on the, leave them on your car seat, in the sun, come back, you'll taste plastic. I've also heard it's not good to freeze them. A lot of people like to freeze their water, but when you thaw it out, it lets some gases seep out. Well, that's the whole process. So you're absolutely right. So the thinnest plastic seeps. The thicker plastic doesn't. And they have different ratings. And I don't know if it's called PET or PETA. And they're rated, and you can see the numbers, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So the, th the ones that are the thickest plastics don't seep, don't leak. So uh, actually the baby bottles that have been banned in Canada Good point. are really actually a little thicker plastic than the ones we're drinking here. That's a really good point. I mean, babies, most all of them drink out of plastic bottles today, don't they? Right, and the plastic bottles you put in the microwave. Oh, my God. And the plastic bottles you put in the dishwasher. Light bulb moment. 
And that's why the Canadian government took the position that they would ban these plastics from baby bottles. So you can't, the baby bottles we use in the United States are illegal in Canada. And the same thing applies to the suckers, whatever you call binkies or whatever you're talking. Same thing. These are banned because the plastic was a thin plastic. pacifiers. But if you look at the thicker plastic, like the ones we use for hot and cold drinks, those have a thicker plastic. And if you look at the plastic that you hit with a hammer and you can't shatter it, that's a thicker plastic. These don't leak. Now, the question the medical student Ryan is asking is, is the IV bottle safe? And the answer is yes. Number one, it's a thicker plastic. You can feel the difference when you feel the plastic bag. Number two, uh, we don't heat them, okay? Usually they're mostly refrigerated or room temperature. So the studies have been shown that the plastic bottles and IVs are not a concern. Good question. We appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for pitching in and sending us an email. If anyone else would like to email Dr. Lichten a question, you can reach us at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Again, the email address for your question is usdoctorradio at gmail.com. So the subject today is environmental toxins, and here we are, 50 years after the introduction of toxic chemicals into the environment. Now we're left to wonder if our lives have truly been enhanced. And the question is, are we actually polluting our reproductive health? as well as our children's health. You know, it was interesting to me, Dr. Lichten, when I was doing some research on this today, and I found out that there are more than 70,000 synthetic chemicals that are used commercially, and about 1,000 more new chemicals are introduced into our environment each year. 1,000 more each year. And all the research I did showed that it's hard to know exactly how many of these chemicals are actually harmful environmental toxins that may damage our reproductive health. And you should know a lot about that because uh, your past uh, and present as a gynecologist uh, surely would bear out some of the truth to that. And so all of this is especially true when we consider the fact that only a handful of these potential environmental toxins have been adequately tested. About 7% of these chemicals may turn out to be dangerous environmental toxins. Well, which 7%? Yeah, exactly. So we have a number of different issues. So let's start with infertility, which is probably the simplest and straightforward uh, one we can answer. Number one, uh, we notice that there is more and more female infertility. Uh, infertility uh, is now more common in women in their early 30s than it ever was before. We find women are going into menopause earlier we're finding their ovulation is affected more. And whether this is stress-related or chemical-related, it's hard to say, but we know there is definitely more infertility from a female standpoint. On the other hand, we know there is dramatically more infertility from the male standpoint. So uh, while the hormones for the female can disrupt her cycle, we have drugs that can force women into ovulation, uh, even the point of making ridiculous you know, octomoms. I mean, the bottom line is <laughs> you, you can force ovulation, uh, it's expensive. It's probably not indicated, at least half the time it's being used. But the point is we can overcome some of these hormonal influences in the woman. And the side effects, of course, is twins and triplets. And, you know, some pregnancies are obviously more complicated than you would expect. The real problem I see is that the infertility in men has become a real major problem. Uh, back when I trained, you know, almost 40 years ago, we said half the infertility causes are men. I would like to think it's probably 
double that now. So men probably account for 60% of the infertility problems. And the reason is we're finding that sperm counts have dropped. The average sperm count in the male as of uh, 1950, right after World War II, was probably about 150 million sperm per cubic centimeter. Uh-huh. Average sperm count today is 30 million. Wow. So you've got a five-fold reduction. And when you get to 20 million, we have major infertility. Uh, we're taught that uh, it's very unusual for a man with a sperm count under 20 million per cc, cubic centimeter, is able to get a woman pregnant. So we're almost there. We're almost made the species infertile. Now, what happens is the rationalization is not forthcoming, except when you look at studies like what we've done in our book, the textbook of bioidentical hormones, and a wonderful article called Testosterone Under Attack uh, by um, a fellow in men's health. I think his name was Carson. But the bottom line is uh, he talks about the drop in testosterone levels. And what we have is the testosterone levels have dropped, and correspondingly, the sperm count have dropped. So whatever has been in the environment since World War II is having a dramatic effect. And the thing we've talking about that's been introduced since World War II are these synthetic estrogens to make the animals bigger, the plastics, and the third thing, the sprays, the DDT, the ancient orange, the seven that's used in the garden are all drugs that have effects that we call xenoestrogens, synthetic estrogens. And although they might be weak, they accumulate forever. And once you have them in your system, you have them for life. Well, how do you measure that? You really have problems doing so. But there have been some interesting studies. One out of Denmark looked at all the men who had testicular cancer. And they found one of the derivatives of this DDT in 96% of the men with the testicular cancer. Wow. So where are these pseudoestrogens going? They're going to go where there's estrogen receptors. And that's for you and me is our prostate and testicles, women in their ovaries, uterus, and in their breasts. So if there's hormone effects, we'll see them. And interesting, we have an increase in prostate cancer. We have an increase in breast cancer, all in parallel with the development of these processes of making the animals fatter and spraying the vegetables with DDT. So then for the consumer, what do we do to protect ourselves from that? You just stay away from those, I mean, there's so many environmental toxins now, whether it be the meat or what the plastic bottles or, I mean, how do you ever protect yourself? Is that possible? No. I mean, we're able to show that uh, mother's milk has DDT in it. So once the mother's been exposed to the chemical, the baby gets it. And what my research is showing that you can't get away from it. Uh, the polar bears are dying. And why? Because their livers concentrate these chemicals, and the mother bear kills the baby bear because the bear is toxic. Why are there alligators in the Everglades with split penises? I'm serious. <laughs> what? No, these are hormonal effects in the environment. Wow. 
I mean, you think I you think I make this stuff up? Well, I don't know, man. Either that. Or I mean, I'm, I'm, at- I'm pretty good at making things up, but I'm telling you the truth. Just look up on the internet. Split penis in Everglade alligators. And with all my- due respect, Doctor, I have other things to look up. But I, you know, maybe I maybe I'll look that up tonight. Just because. But the the point we're making is that the environmental toxins are ubiquitous. They're all over the place. And like I said, when I traveled three years ago to Singapore, they made a point of. Uh, of telling us that their water supply is one of the first in the world that uses reverse osmosis to filter out estrogens. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, they recognized it. It's just their you know, third world country is you know, 50 years ahead of us. Check this out. Studies of the umbilical cords of newborns revealed the presence of approximately 100 synthetic chemicals in the umbilical cord. That we can measure. You have to remember, we have to be able to measure. We may not be able to measure what's there. There may be 70,000 there for all we know. I mean, what you have to think about is just how fascinating the human body is that we're able to survive these environmental toxins. Just like the, you know, 2,000 years ago, we talked about the Roman Empire, uh-huh. and mercury poisoning wasn't recognized for 600 years after the uh, death of Rome. It took till 700 AD before people said, gosh, if you drink water with a lot of mercury in it, you go crazy, your liver fails, and you have all these symptoms, and your bones rot, and all this other kind of crazy stuff happens, and you get depressed and mental, and all these things happen, but it took 600 years after the fall of the Roman Empire to realize what they were doing. By modernization and having the lead pipes, they actually were destroying their social and cultural environment. Hmm. And and you said uh, men obviously have a lot of these problems, but women endometriosis is one of the problems with the environmental toxins, dioxin, right? That's linked to cancer. There's no question that these estrogens have effects, and we don't want to hit the uh, punchline till the end. So the punchline is what's the answer? We're going to hold that off for a little while. But yes, you know, as a gynecologist, I've been treating endometriosis for uh, since the 1970s, and uh, I've written articles about endometriosis. I've invented a surgery to help with endometriosis. But the new drugs we're using, there's no endometriosis. We're able to suppress it if we get it early enough. And we can suppress fibroids, and we can suppress bleeding, and we can suppress all these effects of these pseudoestrogens because, in fact, by blocking their action, we may actually be saving lives. You know, I'm not going to take the position that I believe fully that endometriosis is occurring now more because of environmental toxins, but I can tell you going back 40 years that there was a time in the 1960s when the lead uh, diabetologist out of Boston decided that she was going to prevent miscarriages by using a synthetic estrogen called diethylstabestrol. And her study was weak, but all over the country, everyone started writing for DES and giving it to mothers who were pregnant. And we had a rash for 30 years of vaginal cancer caused by diethylstabestrol. And I saw a number of this in my practice when I was a resident at Ohio State and when I was a a resident uh, training at Sloan Kettering in New York, that we environmentally, in the good intention of trying to prevent women from miscarried, created a disease that was present for 30 years and claimed probably two or 300 women's lives. So environmental toxins can be, a toxin can be what the doctor gives you. And on and on. They talk about in the research that I did, insomnia, fatigue, headaches, skin rashes, swollen glands, digestive problems, diarrhea, fibromyalgia, irritability, aggression, on and on with all of these being linked 
to environmental issues? Well, there's no question because if we just stuck with one environmental issue, the one I know the most about is the hormonal issue. And as we've discussed in the last season, in 15 lectures, we talked about hormones and how they affect your body from whether you sleep to whether you reproduce. So there's no question that if you overwhelm or overflood the system with uh, any type of estrogen or an estrogen disruptor or a testosterone or a testosterone disruptor, you're going to go ahead and change how that person does. And we can talk again about how hormones work briefly, so our listeners will understand, and why these environmental toxins, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. Well, are you suggesting that uh, by being on hormone replacement therapy, replacing uh, your hormones to healthy levels, that you may be less apt to fall prey to some of these chemicals that we're processing? Well, I like to look at it this way. If we do nothing, Since 1958 to today, the incidence of diabetes has increased 16-fold, 16 times more diabetics today than in 1950. How could that be? Well, I see this as a direct effect of the estrogen affecting how the body balances our hormones. The incidence of breast cancer is 1 in 8. Back in 1950, it was less than 1 in 15. We have a doubling of the effect of breast cancer. If you take away smoking, you see that the incidence of heart disease is probably doubled. When I was a kid, I never saw one of my parents' friends who had a heart attack. Now, it's very common for kids to say, well, my dad had a heart attack. My dad's friend had a heart attack. In my department of obstetrics and gynecology, half the men my age have had open-heart surgery. There's something going wrong here. Even Bill Clinton said it. It's very likely that this generation coming up will have a shorter lifespan than the one that we're a part of. And when I look at the blood work on these 30-year-olds, and I have men come in here under the age of 30 having sexual difficulties, and I measure their estrogen levels, I measure their testosterone levels, It's pitiful. I wouldn't want to send these men to war unless they have great weapons because they sure don't have the endurance. They don't have the fight. They don't have the aggressiveness. They don't have the maleness. So there's definite hormonal changes, and every system affects the other. If your testosterone level is low, you get hot flashes, you can't sleep, just like a menopausal woman. If you don't have the energy to get through the day, you take something, whether it's caffeine or nicotine, to keep going. There's a whole cascade that happens because the hormones are off. Well, why aren't we hearing more about this? I mean, all you said is true. We all know it. We know that people are having heart attacks at greater rate and on and on with what you said. Something is wrong. Well, I found this link about 15 to 20 years ago. And we've talked about this term sex hormone binding globulin. And what it happens is, Whether you're an estrogen molecule or you're a testosterone molecule, you can't get into the cell unless you're first linked, docked to a molecule called sex hormone binding. It's like a ferry. The estrogen, the boy and the girl fight with the ferry man to get on the ferry. They go across, and only because the ferry can dock, and this is F E R R Y, you have your mind is a problem. Uh, what I'm it's doing. not what I was thinking at all. Yeah, why are you laughing? Sorry. Because I love your examples. I mean, who gives examples like you do? 
we're explaining this so people can understand it. As a ferry, I'm sorry to interrupt the, the thing. Go ahead with your ferry boat example. Okay, my, my ferry boat example. All right. So what happens is only the ferry boat can dock on the other side of the, of the river. So the point you have to understand, you have an estrogen, you have a testosterone, you have a link or a docking molecule called SHBG, and that's the only one that can hook into the cell. Okay. Now, the trouble we have here is that all these pseudo- Xenoestrogens, mm-hmm. they make more ferry boats. So he or she may get on a ferry boat that doesn't go ahead and dock on the other side. So your whole hormonal system is disrupted by the fact that now we have twice as many boats. And you get on the boat, you may not get to the other side. So this number is dramatically increased. Now, as a gynecologist or an obstetrician, we saw during pregnancy, the numbers would go up two or 300 times. And that's why a woman who's pregnant doesn't have to worry about a tumor, testosterone tumor affecting the baby. It just won't get there. But the problem we're seeing is that the guys at 20 have as many binding proteins as guys at 40. And guys at 40 have as much binding proteins as guys at 80. So really, this is almost a link to aging. Because if you can't get your testosterone the other side, man, you ain't no man. So we are finding a direct link between estrogens, and the toxins that are estrogenic, and this binding protein that interferes with maleness. All right, so let's start with the man. How do you protect yourself? You, you do this testosterone therapy, right? Get your levels back up, and uh, what do you do about the estrogen? Do you take anything to combat that? See, that's a problem. The way we do it right now is, if you take this testosterone cream, you want to go ahead and within six months, you've increased your estrogen level dramatically. Yeah, how does that happen? You've because the that. testosterone is... When you produce testosterone, I produce testosterone, it's inside our body, it's not on our skin. The skin is equipped with, with chemicals to change testosterone to estrogen. So if I put testosterone on you or I put testosterone on a female, the estrogen levels go up. So taking testosterone cream is the wrong way of delivering testosterone. Now if you take testosterone orally, regular testosterone, the liver will convert it to estrogen as well, at least part of it. So you have the two typical ways testosterone is delivered, which are counterproductive for the male. Testosterone shots, if the levels are low, doesn't trigger a big response. But the problem these young 18-year-olds who are doing cycles of testosterone, they'll do a huge amount of testosterone. The body looks at them and says, this is wrong. And the body will turn on these enzymes throughout all the fat cells to turn testosterone to estrogen. So if you look at an 18-year-old guy who's been juicing up on testosterone at 30, he's probably fat and maybe pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. So all these ways of taking testosterone are wrong. And actually, I've gotten away from using testosterone as a primary male hormone because of this process of turning into estrogen. And how have you gotten away from that? Well, there's a natural testosterone called nandrolone. Mm-hmm. The bodybuilders call it DECA, decadurabolin. And your body produces a very small amount of nandrolone, but it doesn't have the right molecules to turn into estrogen. So where, we'll say, 20% or 30% of testosterone might be aromatized to estrogen, less than 2 or 3% of nandrolone would end up as estrogen. So if you just replace DECA or nandrolone for testosterone, the male will not have the problem with the aromatization and the estrogen levels that are a natural conversion from testosterone, number one way men get estrogen is significantly decreased. And we can measure the blood levels. I mean, you already know in this office, everything is based on blood tests. Right. You know, nothing is 
you know, see the pants. We know it works. So it, it, the end game is the same. It just doesn't, the conversion process is different with the uh, Nandrolone. And that makes a big difference because it lowers estrogen. Because you see the problem, as I've explained before, is estrogen, women know, women's bodies know that by increasing estrogen, they'll increase the number of sex hormone binding molecules. Mm-hmm. So they make more fairies. Okay, yeah, right. and the idea is if the guy can beat the girl to the ferry, that's great, but he, that ferry may not get over to the cell wall, and that's the whole key. So a high levels of binding protein is a result of high levels of cellular estrogen, whether it's natural or synthetic, and that is the effect on a male of decreasing his testosterone. But, but the um, globulin, the binding globulin, how, do you, how does that regulate? How do you get that higher or lower? That's in relation to the estrogen? Right. Estrogen will drive binding protein up. Okay. And while gotcha. testosterone binds, gets on the ferry more, it, it has a stronger okay. pent, it gets blocked. I get it. And that's a real key. And this is something most doctors have no idea about. That the whole key is look at your SHBG, your binding protein. If you're a guy, it's 10 to 12. That's great. It's guy, it's over 40. You're in deep trouble. And women, normal binding protein will range from like 40 to 60. Well, if you're Gwen Paltrow, you may be 120, very little androgen effect. And if you're Rosie O'Donnell, it may be down with the males at 12. So you can look at a body structure, and I can basically say that woman will have a low sex hormone binding, and this one will have a high sex hormone binding. So take Rosie O'Donnell, low sex hormone binding globulin, more free androgens, more hair, more acne, more chance for diabetes, more chance for heart disease. In Rosie's case, I think her preference is whatever. You understand what I mean? Gwen Paltrow, on the other hand, is a tall, thin, looks like her skin's falling off her. She won't get diabetic. She won't get heart disease, but because she has so little active, workable testosterone, she's prone for Alzheimer's and osteoporosis. Hmm. So what we, what I do in my office is I bring it to the middle. If you're Gwen, we'll give you a little more of the right androgen to drive down your binding protein. And if you're a rosy, we'll go ahead and try to balance off using a different estrogen or an androgen blocker in an effort to make things more equitable or more normal. So we've got all kinds of environmental toxins out there. We can't avoid them. Right, and the biggest problem from my standpoint is I worry more about the estrogens than the mercuries and the heavy metals because those we have a chance to chelate out or nutritionally eliminate from our diet. But the hormones are everywhere, and you can't get rid of them, and you can't avoid them. Then you just have to protect yourself the way you've been explaining. Right. And what I do as a research scientist and as a clinician is I have certain chemicals that actually block sex hormone binding globulin. All right. So take me through that phase uh, from a man's point of view and a woman's point of view. They're concerned about these toxins. They come to you. Right, so let's take an example. I've got one patient. He's a, a very wealthy guy. He's you know he's race cars. He builds buildings in Vegas. He's just very very uh, you know man's man. But he comes to me and he's having issues. And whatever the issues are, we don't have to say. You can think of them: can't sleep, performance, uh, workouts, getting flabby, all this thing. I told you the normal sex hormone binding is between five and we'll say ten or fifteen. Here's this guy, 6'4", hourglass shape, his binding protein's 44. 
He's got four times more binding protein, which means he should have four times the normal testosterone. But no guy out there is running around with a four times 700 testosterone level. So therefore, he's feeling poorly because he's becoming estrogen dominant. Now, when he's on the right balance of hormones that we use here in the office, I can drive his binding protein down to 10 or 15. And then he's raring to go and, you know, two girls here, four girls there, whatever the guy wants to do. So right. the bottom line is, you know, he feels better. His body, his muscle tone improves. Well, he was off his medicine. I just, he came in last week. I drew his blood work. And lo and behold, he's now at 88. Wow. So if I leave him like this for five to 10 years, he'll have a major heart attack and he'll die. Because without testosterone, keep his arteries open, he's a dead duck. And this is not one example. This is millions of example. Estrogen, high binding protein, low effective bioavailable bio testosterone, and disease, morbidity, and death. It's a direct link the way I see it. Is there anything else that we can do? Well, I think we're a little late. I mean, we've had 50 years of pumping estrogen into animals and... Uh, poisoning our environment with DDT and seven. I think it'd take a hundred years. It may take a thousand years of stopping doing this before it would go away. But that's the problem. Nobody's stopping doing this. It's too late. It's already present. I told you it's present in the guys who have who have testicular cancer that we can measure the chemicals. Yeah, but it's not too late for a baby born today if we get that crap out of the environment. Except the DDT it can be around for a hundred years. You see, if you go ahead and check mother's milk, the studies show that since they've stopped doing DDT, the, the concentration of mother's milk has dropped. But there are some countries where 100% of the mother's milk has some DDT in it. So now we have new chemicals. But can we measure the new chemicals in mother's milk? You see, you change chemical A to B. You go and test for A. You don't know what B is. So right. it, you're really a, it's behind the eight ball. And it's not like we have global warming that's going to kill us. I'm not worried about global warming. I'm worried about estrogen poisoning. That's here now, and it would take years to be able to keep it away. Now, fortunately, and this is, you know, I can't discuss on the air, but we actually have found a chemical that will block binding protein. And actually, this is a patent that we filed. But the bottom line is we now have a way of blocking binding protein. So how does this work? Well, the woman comes in and she's got high binding protein. Mm -hmm. And we know that she's going to be at risk for osteoporosis and Alzheimer's. Well, this chemical that we have this natural chemical that we have, actually goes in the liver and stops the liver from making binding protein. So if her body is flushed with estrogen, it's got nowhere to go. Because unless that estrogen can hook onto a sex hormone binding molecule and get into the cell, it's inactive. Wow, that sounds like a winner. I think you it's know? a big winner. I mean, because uh, am I correct to say that if you can do that, then maybe you don't need to do as much testosterone? Definitely, you can quadruple your effective testosterone by blocking the binding protein. Without even taking more testosterone. Without taking more testosterone. And for a woman, you can block all these high estrogen effects, which may or may not have effects on breasts. Now, you talked about endometriosis before, and I'm just going to go back because I know you want to go another way. But Sorry. when I treat women with this chemical, the endometriosis disappears. And the way I can prove this is I've had women with really severe menstrual pain. I mean, this is something I've done for more than 35 years, and I've written papers, and I'm considered one of the world's experts on menstrual pain. <laughs> Whoa, okay? But the bottom <laughs> line is if you're a woman missing, se missing seven days of work, 
okay, and throwing up and vomiting for a week every month, then I'm pretty high on your list of people you want to know. You better believe it. So with this new chemical, we're able to stop the menstrual periods. So when I go into the uterus, and we have instruments to do so, and we do this as an outpatient, I can show that the lining of a 25-year-old woman with severe endometriosis and pelvic pain will look the same as a woman who's 90. I can dry up that estrogen effect as effectively as old age. And what I'm saying to you is we can reverse the effects, and this may not be just an effect on women who have endometriosis or fibroids or heavy bleeding, because actually, I, you know, since I've been using this, my amount of surgery has dropped dramatically. You know, I did two hysterectomies this year instead of two a week. I mean, it's that dramatic effect really? of how this works to dry things up. But the other effect is we know the same receptors in the breast. And what I was telling you before is that while you can't give estrogen to a woman with breast cancer, yeah. we can give these chemicals. And in Europe, they're just as effective as tamoxifen. So a woman who's having terrible hot flashes, and they're trying to treat her, and they're giving her antidepressants, and they're giving things to sleep, and she's feeling miserable while she's taking this tamoxifen. And, you know, there's tens of thousands of women doing this every single month. Then now we have a chemical that is already FDA approved, already been used in Europe, that can replace the tamoxifen, block the estrogen, relieve the hot flash, keep the bones going, treat depression, and even bring back libido, which women will tell you on tamoxifen is the last thing they ever want to think about. You mentioned uh, the menstrual pain and uh, menopause. How much of that is related to the toxins that are out there? Ooh, good question. The only thing I can tell you is this. If you look at the age when women start having their menstrual period, it's dropping. And it's not unusual. I mean, when I started training for a woman to come in and say she had her first menstrual period at nine was unusual. It's not unusual anymore. So are these estrogens, in fact, triggering what we call precocious puberty or early menstrual cycles? And are they making it worse? Are younger women having worse well, menstrual we know, periods? We know women are having menstrual periods earlier. And this could very well be an effect of the estrogens in the environment. But could they be more painful because of that? Well. Are they more painful? Are... That's a good question. I don't have the answer. Uh, we know that the pain from menstrual periods is because the little cervix has to open up to let the blood out. So uh, there is a direct effect that a 9-year-old is a lot less mature than a 13-year-old. And the tissue is smaller. Could it be more pain? It's a great question. It's my specialty. I'll have to look up the answer. I'll get back to you on that one. But the point is still, I would hate the fact that a nine-year-old is having menstrual periods. I mean, I feel fortunate both my girls didn't have menstrual periods until they were 15. It's a lot easier dealing with menstrual periods and all that strange stuff for a young girl than nine. So I don't like the effects. Now, the girls are taller because they start growing sooner with the estrogen. Is this an effect that influences increased menstrual pain, endometriosis? Is this a fact that has to do with you know, future breast cancer? We can tell you that the longer a woman has menstrual periods, the more endometriosis she has. So the earlier menstrual periods, the family history of endometriosis, both contribute to more menstrual pain and endometriosis. The protective part for endometriosis is early pregnancy. So 
if a woman is 16 versus nine, and both try to get pregnant at 20, it's four years away from the girl that started at 16. So she has less chance for the endometriosis to progress. Now we know that the longer women wait to have children, the more chance they have of endometriosis. So the extra five or six or seven years of having early menstrual periods, will we see an increase in endometriosis? It's so hard to measure because now we've got this crazy increase in pregnancy rate of 15 and 16 year olds around the United States with a 40% rate of out of wedlock childbirth. Yeah, and, and you know we're talking about all of the results from the toxins, the chemicals, the difference uh, in the testosterone, how it's lowered over the years. I mean, are we really saying that all of this is coming back to all of these environmental issues? Is that really the way it is? Well, there's no question. There's no question that, uh, you know, just look at how what the U.S. is doing versus the world. In Europe, they won't take our meat. American meat is banned in Europe. Why? Because they insist that there will not be hormones added to meat. Canada says, we don't want your plastic. I already told you about the story in 1960, the chemical that is part of the standard hormone replacement here called Prempro. It's called Provera. Provera was banned in every major company, every major country except for the United States and and uh, Canada. So the Provera that's in every woman's Prempro pill, Provera shot for contraception for children, was banned. It's considered a carcinogen. The Women's Health Initiative proved it. And here we have synthetic chemicals that are making a difference. And they're not, the rest of the world doesn't listen to us. Europe doesn't use Prempro. So the bottom line is there's at least three or four estrogen type compounds that we're worried about, DES and other estrogens in the food, DDT on the spray on the plants, plastics. And the rest of the world says, America, you're nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, we've got a plastic Canada doesn't want, but we'll take it. You know, we've got meat that Europe won't eat, but we'll eat it. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with uh, our government? If if they're the ones that are supposed to be regulating and looking after us, why the hell are we here, you know, taking all this crap while the other countries are saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is not healthy. You mean there's something called American greed? (laughs) Well, is that it? I like truth, justice, the American way, but I think it sort of went the way of the Lone Ranger about 50 years ago. Yeah, there's some major issues, and the government and the media is not protecting us. There'll be stories, and I've I've contacted a half a dozen or a dozen of these people who are writing, writing about different drugs and their problems, and once they get in with one story, they're done. They don't want to finish the job. They don't want to come back and say, well, let's revisit it. They wrote the story about epigen causing increased deaths. They wrote the story about... Uh, interesting, Prozac combined with tamoxifen for breast cancer doubles the rate of breast cancer. So when you mix two synthetic chemicals, more people die. I mean, this stuff is just ubiquitous. It's it's in the literature. I'm just surprised every time I punch up a couple ideas in the uh, uh, literature search, up it comes and says, yep, you're right. That's a bad thing to do. But no one talks about it because Prozac makes money, tamoxifen makes money, epigen makes money. ConAgra makes a lot of money. Monsanto makes more money. I mean, the bottom line is it's what drives money, not what drives health. And it really makes me sick. Yeah. 
So why don't you just wrap this up for us in a nice, neat little package. We, we really started talking about the chemicals that create the estrogen dominance and a lot of the problems we're experiencing today. We talked about the testosterone levels going down by at least 50% since the 50s for men. And uh, I read off a whole list of items that we're going through because of, or that people think because of these chemicals that we're taking in. So what do we do about it? How do we make it better? If we can, if you could uh, neatly package that, it would be greatly appreciated. Okay, step one, we have to realize there's something wrong. The Romans didn't realize that they were poisoning themselves. We should. How do we recognize this? Behavior patterns have changed. Disease patterns have changed. Diabetes, heart disease, breast cancer. Uh, All these rare diseases seem to be flourishing, whether it's endometriosis or it's fibroids, or it's men with impotence, which is becoming a tremendous problem. Uh, Sperm counts have dropped by 70, 80, 90%. Uh, We're finding that we're at the verge of making the human race extinct. Because when the sperm count drops more, you're only gonna have infertility, you're not gonna have anything else. So wake up world, we are being poisoned. And we're doing with the intent of having bigger and fatter animals and vegetables that are sprayed and eating out of plastics. And the rest of the world recognizes it, but we're the biggest consumer and we're being stupid. Now, no one's drawn the connection yet between these estrogens and the effect on the body. And what I've told you today is we can look at a normal protein called sex hormone binding globulin and find the numbers are three and four and five and 10 times higher than they're supposed to be. And this is estrogenic. The more binding protein, the less testosterone they can get into the cell. And this is, in fact, weakening the men's immune system, increasing prostate cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, erection and erectile dysfunction, and depression. They're all signs of low testosterone. For the women, we see an increase in breast cancer. We see bleeding disorders. We see 600,000 hysterectomies a year. All these tend to be an effect of high levels of estrogen. But the interesting thing is high levels of estrogen can be paired with high levels of binding protein. So the same woman who has too much estrogen causing the fibroids of the breast cancer has thin bones and is depressed and has no sex drive. So the estrogen testosterone balance is just as important for the female. It's real. We can measure it. We can treat it. The bottom line is no one's talking about it because the drugs are cheap. And think about all the enemies we would make with a number one through 10 drug companies find their key products being eliminated because a woman doesn't have depression, you don't need Prozac. Yeah. So by fixing the problem, you eliminate the need for disease treatment. And what I told you was when women were taking Premarin mm-hmm. back in the 1970s, 1980s, they were the ones that didn't need the Prozac for depression, the Ambien for sleep, the Fosamax for osteoporosis. So doing the right estrogen eliminates five or six drugs. You see, it's not unusual to have people come in in this office with seven to 20 drugs, and and we can eliminate two-thirds of them by balancing their estrogen and testosterone appropriately. Are there problems with taking tamoxifen? Well, I told you about this new study that showed that if you took an antidepressant, which would be typical because women on tamoxifen have low levels of hormones, Mm -hmm. that an antidepressant plus tamoxifen doubles the incidence of recurrence of breast cancer. And yeah, tamoxifen's an anti-estrogen. 
which means you're going to keep estrogen away, but you're not going to get enough testosterone to balance it out. You're still going to have osteoporosis. You're still going to have depression. You're still going to have hot flashes. All the symptoms that are disruptive of life for the menopausal woman are amplified by being on tamoxifen. And uh, supplements, anything over the counter we can take to help us? No, the two that are promoted for men are called DIM and Chrysin. I've never seen either of them make a significant difference. Some people think it makes a difference. It doesn't because you're not able to treat a hormone with a natural product. When I went and lectured in Kuala Lumpur, which is Malaysia, three years ago, uh, I turned to them and said, I came to hear you hear what you had to say about Ayurvedic medicine. And they said, don't bother. The chemicals are so intense, none of our natural products work. But we'll listen to what you have to say. So I turned to this audience of 500 people, and they all told me, what we have is worthless now. The world is too toxic. And I heard that from a third world country. <laughs> wow. Man. So you talk about the smoke and burning the coal. You talk about the atmosphere where it's heating up. Trust me, our bodies can tolerate all these without even a, a whisper of problems, but we can't tolerate the estrogen poisoning. The bottom line is, in a standard environment, a woman will out-survive the male. I remember when I was uh, training to do scuba diving, a woman would go, even though her heart rate is 10% faster than a male, male's heart rate's 80, hers is 90, this woman went and dove with half a tank and all the guys dove with a full tank, mm -hmm. we came up before she did because we ran out of air. Better oxygen consumption is typical of the female. Heart rate that's faster, but they live longer. I mean, we're not built to survive. You know, we're, we've, we're thrown in battle, reproduce and die. Let's keep it straight. That's what our guy's function is. The girls have to be around to clean up the mess and raise the kids. So understanding this, women can handle the estrogens better than the men can. The men really can't handle the estrogens, but we're seeing diseases in women as these pseudoestrogens are driving the body to make more binding protein, which ties up even their good estrogen. Mm -hmm. So the bad estrogen sticks around in the wrong places. The good estrogen is there raising the binding protein, and these women have unrecognized osteoporosis, depression, hot flashes, and uh, central obesity, and so many diseases that develop in aging, but we're seeing it 10 or 20 years earlier. And just look at how people look now and how you think they should look. It's a really, you know, I see guys in their 40s, I think they're 60s all the time. A woman walks in at 50, a lot of times I think they're 70. Yeah. I mean, people don't look good. No. And that shows the effect of aging prematurely. Oh, they're not taking care of themselves. They're eating wrong. I mean, a lot of things uh, go into the mix there. But I believe our listeners are some of the smarter people out there in the world. I believe they listen for a reason. I believe they want to be healthy, and that's why they listen to the Licton lifestyle. So what do you tell them, Dr. Licton? Do they come see a doctor like you, or do they come see you and, and get their blood levels checked and, and get their life back on track if they're suffering from some of these effects of environmental toxins? First thing is you can get the blood work right off the website, usdoctor.com slash, and all in capitals, lab tests. You can print out the form and go to lab lab core or you can go to quest and you can get the blood work done and if you have a copy of my book or you have access to my web pages you'll see what normal 
sex hormone binding levels are, what normal testosterone levels are for men and women. All right, let me explain that to him one more time. You go to Dr. Licton's website, which is usdoctor.com. He gave you a slash, which will take you directly to the page. But if they go to usdoctor.com. Right, the 10th item on the left-hand column says lab tests. All right, so they go there, they print the form. Right, and then they can just go ahead and take that in to either Quest or LabCorp, and the blood work will be done. All right, and then what do they do with the blood work? They send it back to you? The blood work will the, come the, to me. Okay. They then have the option of either or, or, or come to me and come to their family doctor. There's room to put both form names on the form. And then if they want us to consult with them and explain what it means, great. Otherwise, they can take the blood tests to their family doctor, give them a copy of the book or the information, say, I want to do something about this. Yeah. It just happens I have this unique chemical that can block SHBG that no one knows about it anywhere in the world right now. So the point is I can't release it until all that you know, political monkey stuff is done. But the bottom line is my patients are on the program and we can show that we can change the blood test back to normal. I'm going to recommend uh, that you go to Dr. Lichten to have him look at those results because uh, before I was a patient of Dr. Lichten's, I had blood work done. I had it looked at by other doctors. <laughs> didn't say much. You know, they didn't, I, I don't know what they didn't see that you saw, but what you saw was right, and uh, you pointed me in the right direction. So the interpretation of that blood work is key. That's why they want to call you, in my mind. I'm not just saying that because you're here. I'm saying that because it's the truth. Go to Dr. Lichten's website, usdoctor.com. Get that done. Thank you. And hey, uh, you're also available for consultations, too. And if you'd like to call Dr. Lichten, set up an appointment, I would highly recommend that. Do it just like I did it. It was like two years ago when I came to you. I heard your name out through the grapevine. I was looking. I was searching for somebody that could help me. And they said, you got to call this Lichten guy. And I am so glad I did. And, and, I mean, we've just developed a great friendship. And I think that's one of the cool things about you as a doctor, too. It's not just that you and I are friends. I talk to your other patients, and they have a friendship with you, too. And some would call that old school. I would call it good medicine. When you get to know your doctor, when you feel comfortable enough that you can pick up a telephone if you need to and to call a doctor, how cool is that? I mean, that's that's just personal one-on-one service. So make an appointment if you live in the Michigan area. If you don't, he's got patients that fly in from all over the world to see him. He's the author of the textbook of bioidentical hormones, too. If you don't have a copy of that, you can purchase it on his website. It explains uh, very easily all the things you need to know about the, your hormones and uh, the vitamins that you need to take, the blood work that you require. That's the textbook of bioidentical hormones available on usdoctor.com. And now, here is that phone number for consultation. It's 248-593-9999. Again, 248 248- Five nine three ninety nine ninety nine usdoctor.com the site for dr lichten and all his information and antiagingradio.com for more of our programs we've got programs streaming online now so our fans can go out and listen to us and they can drop us an email to it usdoctorradio at gmail.com so there you go it's that easy show number one season number two we're on a roll again dr lichten it's my pleasure. Anytime you want to come and talk, we'll just spread the word that there are things that can be done. Yeah, I appreciate it. As I said in season one, uh, it's just it's a blessing for everyone out there that needs this information and can't find uh, a doctor to get it from. Where else can they get this kind of information for free on the internet? 
Thank you, Dr. Lipton, for your time. Oh, it's my privilege. I'm Steve Peck. We have a new show every single Monday available on iTunes, The Lichten Lifestyle. Look for it. Tell your friends and drop us a line. Until next week, I'll talk to you later. Stay healthy, everyone.